Welcome to America's Retirement Headquarters, home of the Retirement Guys Formula and America's Medicare Associates. Securities offered through Peak Brokerage Services, LLC. Advisory services offered through the Retirement Guys Formula. Registered Investment Advisor, America's Retirement Headquarters, America's Medicare Associates, and the Retirement Guys Formula are separate and independent entities from Peak Brokerage Services, LLC. Thank you so much for joining us and welcome you into America's Retirement Headquarters, home of the Retirement Guys Formula and America's Medicare Associates with Nolan Baker and Chaz Price this week. Scott Kirshner is on a beach somewhere or something like that, enjoying enjoying himself. We certainly hope he is. And like I said, we appreciate you joining us this week. 419-794-3030. That's the phone number. 419-794-3030. Online, ARHQ.com. My name is Chris Swan. On today's show is 70 Too Late to Talk About Long-Term Care. We're going to discuss why you shouldn't count on another big raise when it comes to Social Security and how to get a Roth IRA if you're a high-income earner. All this and more. But first, let me check in with the guys. Nolan, Chaz, glad to be with you as always. How are we doing today? Doing perfect. Yeah, I just got back uh, from some travels myself. So back holding down the fort and uh, was down in our Jupiter office. Spent a little bit of time down there and uh, connecting with uh, our group of advisors that we have all throughout the U.S. Uh, we had some great coaching programs for a couple of days and then uh, spent a couple of times. I was working with uh, some organizations down in that area to look at trying to do a couple of veteran retreats. Mm. Uh, you know, it gets a little cold, a little chilly here in Northwest <laughs> Ohio. And, you know, post-October, we can't have retreats uh, for our veterans over at Hooves. So trying to find a, maybe a location to be able to do something down there this winter. And uh, we just finished up our first retreat uh, over at Hooves. So we had another uh, 10 veterans who uh, went through our program and uh, hopefully got a great blueprint for going back and doing some good things and positive things moving forward. Mm. But uh, how about you, Chad? Yeah, I'm doing good. We're just talking to Chris before the show and telling him uh, we've got 32 days and counting before the wedding. Um, just amazing how the punch list is growing, you know, the closer we get to the, the D date, it's supposed to be shrinking, but it seems like there's more things to do than ever now. So just knocking that punch list out left and right. But as you said, you know, uh, both you and your uh, fiance are staying calm and level headed about it. And that's one of the things where the parallel as people get closer and closer to retirement, you know, making sure all the T's are crossed, all the I's are dotted. And it can be kind of this mixture of excitement and also nerve inducing. But if you have a proper plan in place, like it certainly sounds you guys, you guys do when it comes to the wedding, when it comes to retirement, if you have a proper plan in place, you can ease into retirement. That's what we want to do here on the show. That's what the team at America's Retirement Headquarters wants to do. Uh, and again, the number 419-794-3030. So let's start the show off with this question. How does one of the Shark Tank investors partition his portfolio during these volatile times? Here's what Kevin O'Leary told Fox Business recently. A balanced portfolio used to be 50% fixed income, 50% equities. Mine right now, and I'm not telling people what to do, but I'm 70% equities, 30% fixed income. And I have some cash, obviously, but we're in very unsettling times regarding interest rates. Half the world thinks they're going up. The other half thinks they're going down in interest rate cuts by the end of the year. You simply don't know. So you need diversification. Now, I think it's safe to say that a lot of us aren't as financially savvy and definitely aren't day-to-day -day Wall Street sharks like Kevin O'Leary. And people nearing retirement, they don't have that time horizon to withstand the fluctuation, the big losses that could be coming. So what can we learn here? 
Well, I, I think, you know, when you're looking at what is the importance of a diverse portfolio, it, it does come down into different time frames and, you know, where, you know, different people are at in the, the phase of their life. I'll give you a perfect example. My son, Andrew, works here. You know, he uh, is almost going to be 20 here pretty soon. And he's been in the 401k for the last couple of years. And, you know, when you look at 2022, he's more of an equity-based investor. And, you know, I remember him getting a statement a couple of months ago and saying, Dad, you know, look at last year's performance. And this is just terrible with how, you know, bad the market was. And I said, look, buddy, you know, you're 19. You don't need your retirement account for a long, long time. In fact, with the market going down, this creates a, a phenomenal buying opportunity you know, maybe look at increasing in your 401k, continue to be, you know, buying more shares because at those early ages, the sequence of return really doesn't matter. But it is not the same when you get close to or in retirement time. Those sequence of returns can be deadly for somebody that's close to or in retirement time, significantly increasing the risk of them outliving their money. So the the traditional buy and hold or asset allocation portfolio, that philosophy for a retiree saying, you know, let's put a little bit of money into each category, large, medium, small, international, uh, growth, value, and blend, and then stocks, and then bonds. And as you get older, put more money in bonds. It's kind of what I would refer to as like a buckshot approach, you know, taking a shotgun, going outside and blasting off a bunch of shots, and hopefully you hit something. So they're hoping more goes up than down. And, you know, the philosophy that I have had over the, the course of my career is more like a sniper shot approach. So when I served in the United States Marine Corps and I, you know, love shooting downrange, either I hit my target or I did not. So it's either bullseye or nothing. So I've kind of, you know, learned from the discipline of the military service to create kind of a buckshot approach. The philosophy that we've had, when you think about diversification, I think it makes a ton of sense for people that are close to or in retirement time, but then diversification doesn't mean owning a little bit of everything in the stock and bond market. It means being diversified with different asset classes so you can have more of an all-weather portfolio. Now, Chaz, I know something that you created for the company was the Independent Income System Calculator, and it kind of shows based upon somebody's income, what their goals are, how to maybe position portfolios and position their accounts, and, and start to incorporate things that maybe are non-market risk. But when people ask you that question, what is the importance of a diverse portfolio, what would you say? Yeah, well, first, I, I love Shark Tank. Um, Kevin O'Leary is one of my favorite sharks, and to use one of his terms is... Um, you know, I guess if you don't have a diversified portfolio, you need to take it out back behind the barn and shoot it. And I love when he says that. He's just ruthless. But, you know, I think you're right. Uh, the diversification, the concept goes back all the way to the 1950s. You know, we've studied this as finance guys, uh, Harry Markowitz and, um, you know, modern portfolio theory. And, and I think Kevin hits it right on the head. The importance of diversification is, first of all, you don't ever want to be all things to all people, meaning you don't ever want to be 100% in equity. You certainly don't ever want to be 100% in bonds or cash. The key to diversification is not, as you say, using a buckshot approach, Nolan, where I'm just going to blast away and, and see what I can hit. It's you know having a disciplined investment strategy that we've developed based on the independent income system, which again, uh, we use the calculator we've developed in-house uh, to basically uh, determine what your asset allocation should be based on your cash flows. And 
you know, it, it's not a groundbreaking concept. It's just that we've developed the tools to do it efficiently and quickly. So first of all, having that base uh, model, if you were, that foundation for your investment philosophy based on the, the cash flows that you're going to need is crucial when it comes to diversification, because that generally that will give us a basic idea of how much stock and how much bond and cash that we need uh, for your entire life or your, in retirement. Cash being the dollars we're going to use earlier, bonds maybe secondarily, and then tertiarily down the line, we're going to use your stock portfolio because those those assets are needed later and they can fluctuate a little bit. But the key is, as Kevin was saying here, is he's leaning into equities right now. And he's probably doing that because he sees that there's more opportunity, there's more upside potential with equities than there are bonds right now. And so that's really the key. Start from, you know, somewhere, maybe a 50-50 allocation, and then try to lean a little bit in or a little bit out of equities, just kind of depending on what's going on in the market a little bit. And we're, with the help of your advisors, where maybe together we see the most opportunity. And then obviously, you know, kind of rounded it all out. You do need those alternatives, those um, investments that really help make the portfolio all weather because they uh, traditionally will act differently than stocks and bonds. And, and last year was a good example where you needed an alternative sleeve, an alternative investment that was uncorrelated, you know, to the stocks and, and the bond market because they both went down at the same rate. It doesn't happen often, but what happens if it, if it happens in the year you're going to retire? And so again, diversification, uh, based on a, you know, award-winning, um, theory that mm. bo most all investment advice is based on today, lean in or lean out with the help of your advisor to try to capture opportunities where there's more growth and uh, have some alternatives in place. And I think instead of looking at it as a 70-30 or a 60-40 type portfolio, that buckshot approach, to me, in a lot of the meetings that I've heard you say, it comes down to portfolio optimization. So, you know, how is your portfolio constructed to try to achieve the outcomes that you're looking for, you know, the ability to tolerate what are the ups and downs in market conditions, what happens if we have another 2008, you know, what are the steps that you can take to put a plan B in place, and through that portfolio optimization is really you know the keys to kind of figuring it out um, the great thing is is with some of the technology that we have here at our office uh, we're able to kind of stress test your portfolio and tell you you know what is the diversification of your portfolio is it put together mathematically in a formula to try to get the highest potential return for the level of risk that you're willing to take so number one diversify your portfolio invest in quality companies companies, you know, consider some defensive investing strategies, uh, stay invested for your longer term portion, which is why it's important to have those buckets of money. Because if you have enough money to cover the next, you know, one to three years or three to five or 10 years, then you know that your stocks are more long term. And so you don't have to worry about what happens today or tomorrow. It allows you to have a position more for the long term, you know, have those cash cushions and emergency funds. And you know, Get educated, consult with a financial advisor. So if you'd like to learn more on that topic, I, I'd encourage you to go over to our website. It's ARHQ. 
retirementheadquarters.com. So again, americasretirementheadquarters.com. You can click on the events tab. And Chance and I are going to be teaching a class. This class is over at the BGSU. It's the Levis Commons campus. So uh, that event is on May 15th, May 17th. I know this topic we'll be diving deeper into it as we talk about the retirement playbook. And uh, we'd love to have you come out and join us and learn more about why it's important to develop a diverse portfolio, but what that portfolio construction really might look like if you're close to or in retirement time. If you've got the time, they'd love to have you out at one of these upcoming events. Go to ARHQ.com, click on the events tab, find uh, one that is, is close to you, one that is convenient to you from a time standpoint, and uh, find out more information, including how to register. There's no registration fee. That is, again, ARHQ.com. Or give a call if you want to find out more and sit down with the team, 419-794-3030. Longtime listeners of the show, or if you've checked out previous editions of the show on Apple Podcasts or YouTube or whatever you go, will know that last year, uh, this time last year, you guys were very pro-I-bond, the, the, the government-issued bond, which had a pretty high rate of return. Uh, it is actually, uh, the rate just changed. Uh, here we are in May. It just changed again recently. So let's talk about the right net right now and whether this is still a, a strong strategy for people. What uh, Guys, what is the current I-bond rate right now? Yeah, it has just changed this month in May. And it, we did really talk a lot about this about a year ago. You know, the rates over uh, a year ago got over to 9%. Mm-hmm. And it, it was in a very short window of time that those government I-bonds went from uh, paying almost next to nothing to paying a significantly high rate. Uh, I had not thought about bonds since I think maybe grandma or grandpa put them in my Easter bag basket. <laughs> so it had been quite a while, but uh, I did purchase uh, for my own family uh, I-bonds last year. I put them into the account like we talked to a lot of our listeners. And the rates just changed in May of 2023. So the rate is currently 4.3%, and that rate goes from May to October 31st, 2023. So a lot of investors have been concerned about the volatility of the market. They've been concerned about uh, lazy assets and kind of dead money at the bank. You know, when you look at it, you also, in any investment that you do, you wanna look at, you know, the length of time, how long your money has to be invested, you know, what are any charges or penalties if you get out beforehand, and you know, how the inner workings are. Uh, so last year, it was kind of difficult to get that information. I remember I remember trying to call uh, the U.S. Treasury Direct Department, and after 90 minutes sitting on hold, uh, I ended up just hanging up because nobody had reached out and uh, answered the phone. So for those of you that are listening, if you want to know about what the current I-bond rates are or how to set up an account with the U.S. Treasury Department, or if you want to know like what the current money market rates are or what the fixed rates or CD rates are in the industry, I would encourage you to just call our office, and our office is more than happy to kind of help steer you in the right direction, uh, be able to kind of navigate it and talk about where some of the things that are out there. But, you know, again, the current U.S. government I-bond rate uh, as of May 2023 is at 4.3%. When we look at this, um, to me, I think now starts to say there's other alternatives that are out there that are probably more attractive. Mm -hmm. Uh, For example, some of the larger financial institutions that are out there, uh, they offer money market funds. Uh, Some of these money market funds are uh, actually high as high or higher than what the I-bond rate is. Now, again, the disadvantage of uh, money market rate is typically they can change on a weekly basis, so they could go up or down uh, a little bit quicker.
maker, but you have more liquidity. You don't have the time frame commitments that you do with I-bonds. Uh, we also have a lot of uh, three to five year fixed products uh, with three to five year fixed products, uh, things like fixed annuities that are out there. You know, you continue to see rates in that five, five and a quarter range. Uh, so there's some higher options that are still out there in the marketplace. Uh, we recently met with a, a lady that had come in. She had an old uh, 403 retirement plan, and in her plan, she had a 4% fixed rate, was super excited about that. And I would agree, a year or two ago, that would have been great. But now with the rates uh, over, you know, again, you can get them as high in the five, five and a quarter range for that three to five year uh, basis. And in her situation, she wanted to look at uh, locking in a higher rate as long as possible. So, you know, with these contracts, you can typically lock things in for seven, 10 years there's different time frames to look at again you what you want to know is you want to know the ins and outs that are out there so uh, that is the bottom line where the government i bonds are at right now 4.3 percent if you have any lazy money uh, don't let lazy assets stay in your portfolio give us a call we'll talk to you about the different rates that are out there we'll help you navigate uh, finding what could be uh, the best rate for the goal that you're trying to accomplish with the time frame that you have being able to explore other uh, alternative investments, as you guys are so fond of talking about. You know, uh, yes, last year around this time, I-bonds were very favorable, so much so that uh, when they changed back last November, the website actually crashed in the days prior to that. So 4.3%, uh, as Nolan said, is what the rate is right now. If you want to find out more information about that or explore perhaps more alternative, more robust options out there for you, give a call to the team at America's Retirement Headquarters, and they'll be happy to sit down and explore those with you. 419-794-3030 or on the website, arhq.com. Now, guys, I ran recently across an advice column over on a market watch, which described a couple that retired six years ago. In January of last year, they had half a million, $500,000. By December, they had lost 20% of that, $100,000. They called their advisor to ask why. And during that meeting, they were told they could lose another hundred grand by the end of the year. So the reader's question was, should I stay with this advisor or should I seek greener pastures? What do you think? What would you say? And, and let's really pinpoint what went wrong here. It probably, I think, is in a lot of different ways is not having a good plan in place from the get-go. And it sounds like poor communications. But if you think about that, think of how long it took that couple to save that first $100,000. And then in, in a year's time, it'd be wiped out, knowing that they could also lose another $100,000. So a big part of it is when you're looking at when is it time to switch financial advisors, it comes down to making sure that you are working with somebody who specializes in the area of what you're trying to focus on. You know, the, the challenge about these individuals that, you know, recently retired is they don't have that luxury of time to make up for losses in the early years. So, you know, those losses really hurt. And then in addition to that, if the advisor is doing what's called a pro rata withdrawal, meaning he's just selling off a portion of each investment every month to come up with their monthly income needs, they're selling investments at a loss, they're negative compounding the account, they're accelerating their risk of outliving their money, uh, and, and all of a sudden they could be in a situation where they never get it back versus, 
you know, somebody who, again, using the example of my son at the age of 19, who also is saving and growing wealth for the future. Uh, in this example, he might have lost 20% in his investments last year. But, you know, since he doesn't need it and he's putting money into his account, it's a buying opportunity. Uh, so those losses really, really do hurt for people. Um, Chaz, when you're looking at it and, and you know, they're talking to people uh, and you run into these type of situations where people come into the office and share that with you, mm-hmm. you know, what are you saying? Yeah, I agree. I, I don't think it makes sense to fire your advisor just solely because of performance. Um, I mean, because I'll be the first one to tell clients that that's generally not how I would uh, describe my wealth when it comes to financial planning is being able to consistently every single year outpace the market or completely protect your account from any sort of loss. And I think investors get that. Retirees get that. Yeah, if you're taking putting money into the stock market, there is going to be a measure of risk where I think you should consider you're firing your advisor or looking for another one is when your philosophy or your methodology as it pertains to your money, you know, what's important to you, the principles that you stand for about your money are either not being taken into consideration or aren't, they start to divide between what you and your advisor think success is. And so that's why it's so important when you, when you're going through the hiring process of a financial advisor, I mean, there's 750,000 financial advisors out there. Um, every one of them has probably their own core competencies and, and they have their strengths and weaknesses. But it's important for investors to kind of know, in my opinion, what the investment advisor stands for. And you should be able, as an investor, to articulate that. You may not be an expert, but you should, you should know what the advisor stands for. For instance, um, clients will ask us, okay, so I'm going to pose that question back to you. What do you stand for? Well, one of the principles that, that I stand for when it comes to investment management is fees matter. So it's important that if you're paying a fee for something, you know what you're getting in terms of value. Mm -hmm. The other principle that I stand for is like we talked about earlier, diversification in the structure is what's going to determine your performance, not necessarily the individual holdings. So uh, last year, as a great example, if depending on how much stock and bond you owned, it probably didn't matter much, but do you have the alternative investments in place? Things like your, your annuities that are principally guaranteed. So how did we structure your portfolio? And more importantly, why did we structure it that way? That gives uh, kind of a, a tip your hat to the fiduciary standard, which we abide by. And then also the other principle that we stand for is what are the real rates of return? Not just the average, meaning did your advisor or do your, do your potential advisor show you 10 year average rates of return or they're showing you the actual dollar amount that your your investments would have grown to or, or have grown to over time when you're looking at those decisions. So uh, th- there's a lot to unpack there about when to hire, when to fire. Ultimately, I don't think it's based solely on performance because like we talked about, if we had that appropriate mix of assets and we had our first 10 or 15 years guaranteed with guaranteed sources of money and our long-term assets were down 20%, generally bear markets don't last longer than 15 to you know 24 months, somewhere around there. Very f- few times is a stock and bond markets down together. So I think 
you know, you might be a little bit more comfortable knowing that your your uh, variable assets were down 20%. Is it the whole portfolio? You know, there's a lot there, but generally the investment philosophy, if, if we start to separate there, it's probably a good idea to look for somebody else. Yeah, so when you're taking a look at when is it time to switch financial advisors, the three takeaways that I got from what you were just talking about, performance. So, uh, you know, this kind of goes two ways. One is I don't think short-term, you know, you want to be negative about performance if your investments didn't perform like the market did. Mm. On the flip end of the scale, I attend a lot of industry conferences and I'll have, you know, booths that I'll walk up to and somebody's promoting their short-term performance. So they might say, well, last year, you know, we beat the market because we were only down 2% and the market was down 20. And, you know, sometimes they say, Blind squirrels find a nut once in a while. And so when you're looking at performance, you want to look at things over the long term. I met with a gentleman, Jerry, and he had had the same strategy for, you know, 15 years. And when you looked at it, it was year after year after year after year after year after year that the manager continued to underperform. So at some point, performance does matter. But trying to look at it on a three to five year basis, Mm -hmm. number two, fees really do count. If you're starting the year off in the negative because you're paying all these fees and expenses. Uh, In this example, Jerry, he had one of those very expensive variable annuities that had no real benefit in his situation. You know, you can eliminate a lot of those fees and expenses and go to lowest cost solutions. And that puts money right back into that, you know, client's pocket to be able to keep. And number three is optimization. So are you optimizing everything that's working in your portfolio? When we met with Jerry, one of the things that we noticed is a lot of his safer assets, you know, had not been upgraded into where some of the new or higher interest rates were. So he had money that could be working harder for him. And when you're thinking about a couple hundred thousand dollars, you know, one, two, three percent difference makes a big, big difference. And what that investor gets to keep in their pocket. So happy to help out. And if you have that question on when is a good time to switch advisors, uh, we're always happy to help you. And it's as simple as picking up the phone and giving a call 419-794-3030 or go into the website arhq.com you know perhaps your philosophies no longer align or your values not saying politically or religiously but you know just are they accumulation minded or are they retirement minded and, and what phase of life are you in obviously nolan I, i'm sure you've given your son some advice there but uh, as far as he's concerned you know being being 19 he's got plenty of time i don't think retirement is in his picture anytime soon but for a lot of our listeners uh if you're getting ready to make that transition in the same way that you no longer see your pediatrician, I'm assuming, and I'm hoping for a number of reasons, honestly, uh, but perhaps, you know, uh, seeking someone more specialized to where you are in life right now. The team at America's Retirement Headquarters is here for you. 419-794-3030 or the website arhq.com. A little earlier, we talked about the uh, changes in I-bonds, the new rates uh, as of this month, and, and a lot of changes have, have come through as of late. Uh, and we always talk about opportunities and in, in times of uh, financial turmoil and uncertainty. Thanks to inflation last year, I know it's tough to say, but thanks to inflation, those taking Social Security this year enjoyed an 8.7% COLA, or cost of living adjustment, to their monthly checks, the biggest raise in decades. Here's the the downside to that, as inflation seems to be coming down a little bit. The latest projection is that the COLA for uh, this coming year is going to be 3% or less in 2024, so not nearly as robust. If that turns out to be true, guys, how do you reevaluate a retirement plan and how that plays in? Well, I, I think inflation is an important topic. It's a topic that we've talked about on this show for decades that I can think of. You know, 
if we looked at the numbers, inflation went to really zero. So it became a topic that most people didn't talk about. But when you look at inflation, I say for somebody that's close to or in retirement time, to me, inflation has been a real big deal for a long time, because if you add in things like, you know, health insurance costs or energy costs, you know, those expenses have been a real big hit to retirees for quite some time, which is why it's so important when you're looking at, you know, how Social Security will increase with inflation and factoring in what those numbers look like. I know through some of the planning software, you know, we will run the analysis analysis and take a look at if inflation stays high, you know, what is the impact on that? But there's a couple of takeaways when we're looking at will Social Security increase with inflation and, you know, what do you do to reevaluate your retirement plan is, first of all, review your retirement budget. Take a closer look at your expenses, you know, evaluate where are the areas maybe that you could cut back in some of your spending, prioritize those essential expenses such as housing, food, and health care, and make sure you have enough reliable, predictable income that is covering those expenses. Uh, number two is assess your retirement income. So evaluate those source of retirement income, including uh, pensions, annuities, Social Security, or other sources. You know, if your Social Security benefits won't increase, you may need to find ways to boost your other sources of income. It could be looking at, you know, higher dividend paying stocks. It could be things like, you know, if you're not collecting Social Security yet, not being one of the roughly 70% of people who take Social Security benefits early and face a, a lifetime penalty. Then number three could be the good option, which is, again, if you haven't taken it, maybe consider delaying taking your Social Security benefits. In fact, you could consider delaying retirement. Uh, I know I met with a gentleman earlier this week and he says, you know what? I really kind of like what I do. I no rush to retire. You know, I plan on staying here for a couple more years. It gives me something fun to do. I get out of the house and it works out really well. You know, so if possible, delaying retirement can help build up additional retirement savings, help you increase your Social Security benefit, you know, can give you more time to adjust your retirement plan and prepare for the unexpected expenses. And number four is maybe invest and adjust your investment strategy. So if you're relying on investment income, uh, to fund your retirement, consider adjusting that strategy to focus more on income producing assets. Uh, that could be, you know, now that bonds rates have gone up, reevaluating what your holdings are. It could be things like dividend paying stocks or other you know, income generating investments. And, you know, I'd always say seek the advice of a qualified professional, you know, somebody like us or somebody who works in the retirement space. But, you know, Chaz, when you get that question and people want to know about Social Security and in inflation, you know, what is the answer that you're giving and telling people about reevaluating their retirement plan? Yeah, Social Security has been a hot topic. We talk about it a lot, not necessarily in terms of the COLA, but I think people are concerned in general about the solvency of Social Security in general. Mm. Maybe not for our generation, but for future generations, Social Security might look very much different than what it, what it is today. So uh, that's one of the takeaways I think on Social Security is I think we need to fix the main issue not necessarily worry so much about the cost of living but um, you know I'm, I'm kind of torn a little bit I, I feel as though at least recently with inflation a lot of the key metrics to inflation one being housing and the other being wage growth are generally pretty sticky items uh, additionally health care I think is also a pretty sticky 
issue when it comes to inflation, meaning it, they're not going down anytime soon. I don't think healthcare costs are going down generally. Once your landlord sets your rent and takes it up 15 to 20%, you know, it's probably not coming back down. <laughs> and same with um, wages. I mean, when, when we see uh, younger workers in the workforce getting 15, 16, 17 bucks an hour, that's going to be tough, you know, for um, of an employer to walk that back in the future. So I think inflation, at least in some areas of the economy, are going to be is going to be pretty sticky. I don't expect it to go back down right away. But on the reverse end of that, that's kind of what the goal is too. I mean, if inflation is going down, we shouldn't need the cost of living adjustment really to keep up with our style of living. And so um, it's kind of a double-edged sword. Yes, we appreciate getting the increase in our pensions and our social security checks, but do we really need it if inflation is is kind of steady? Um, the other point that I like that you made, Nolan, was about your investment uh, philosophy and, and how your investments are doing relative to inflation. And I think one thing that investors typically overlook is not necessarily the dividend right now, but the growth of the dividend rate and the payout rate over the years. So, you know, growth uh, of the the growth rate of your dividends can vary over over time. It depends on, you know, the economy and, and the market conditions and what sectors of the economy that you're in. But uh, according to the S&P 500, some data that we we analyze here annual compound growth rate of dividends for the S&P 500 was approximately 5.4% from 1926 to 2020. And during that same period of time, average inflation was only about 2.9%. So this suggests that on average, if you're investing in dividend-oriented companies, we call them blue chips, the companies that have strong financial backgrounds and uh, financial strength, they pay steady dividends and in many cases increase their dividends. We call those the dividend aristocrats uh, and have very little debt. Generally, those companies are going to uh, be able to outpace inflation and, and kind of keep up with it over the long term. So, you know, again, dividends, it's important to know they're not guarantees. Uh, they can be cut. They can be suspended at any time during times of economic stress or, or market stress. Um, but generally, based on historical precedent, uh, a dividend-oriented strategy is usually a pretty good option for an investor can consider when um, when and if they're worried about inflation outpacing the, their uh, ability to generate income. Yeah, so Chris, those are three uh, topics right there that we're going to be talking about for our local residents. Uh, we'll be talking about, you know, philosophies when it comes to investing and how to manage market volatility, generate income. We'll be talking about uh, ways to optimize your Social Security benefits and, you know, what the impact of inflation could be. That uh, event, it's called our Retirement Playbook. Uh, Chaz and I are going to be uh, doing that presentation. May 15th and May 17th. And uh, for our listeners here locally that want to sign up, it's ARHQ.com or America's Retirement Headquarters.com. Click on the events tab and we'd love to have you come out. Again, if you've got the time, they'd love to have you out there. May 15th, May 17th at the BGSU Levis Commons campus. Get more information, including how to reserve your seats and you know start designing that retirement playbook. ARHQ.com. The pandemic certainly served up a lesson on mortality, and that has apparently drifted into more people rethinking their interest in long-term care insurance. There's an article in Financial Advisor magazine that talked about inquiries from people ages 70 and up that they've increased, where the normal clientele is usually between the ages of 48 and 62. So uh, let's talk about this. Is 70 too late to discuss 
uh, long-term care policies? And what kind of planning do you recommend? I would say not at all. I'm surprised that, you know, this year, that's probably been one of our biggest questions and topics that we've had at uh, numerous events that we've got and people wondering about, you know, what are the solutions on how to protect my assets so I don't have to go broke if I have a healthcare crisis. Um, we recently met with some folks and uh, we'll call them Dave and Lori. Um, Dave served in uh, Vietnam. Unfortunately, he had some combat service related injuries from his service to our country. And, you know, as a veteran myself, I, I love serving our veterans. You, you know, in his particular situation, when you think about traditional long-term care planning, uh, long-term care insurance is not really gonna be a choice for him because of his uh, health status that he had. But the great news is, is he does have some support here. Um, we have what's called our veteran service organization. So, you know, encourage him to get together and have a conversation with the VSO. So if, if you're either local here, um, reach out to our office. I'd be happy to make some uh, introductions to some of the individuals that I know are at the VSO uh, that can help you with uh, what your benefits are if you served. Uh, if you're national, just check out your uh, local organization of the VSO. And so then the, the question would be, you know, what happens if something happens to Dave and maybe he passes away, you know, and Lori, there she is, uh, not having any long-term care protection in place. She was uh, and is 74. And so at the age of 74, what we did is we took a look at their total portfolio and they had saved and accumulated uh, a nest egg that they had probably enough income to be comfortable to achieve the outcomes that they wanted. And so in their situation, what we're able to do is take uh, a portion of their money and move it every year from their current account into a life leveraged plan. So we're able to leverage their assets and be able to kind of reposition it into a different account to get them more benefits. So in this example, what we did is our strategy was to take $30,000 a year and move it over into an account for 10 years. So it's gonna take her from 74 to age 84. And so over a 10 year time frame, you know, allocate a set dollar of uh, money uh, and, and immediately day number one one, you know, she was going to have benefits that uh, provide death benefits for her family. So the old account was a tax deferred account, uh, may not be the most efficient ways to transfer money on. Uh, this particular account uh, was a life insurance strategy and life insurance, if set correctly, could provide, you know, tax-free, income-free, probate-free uh, cash benefits to her beneficiaries like her uh, husband or kids. Uh, then also she had immediately day number one uh, protection for critical chronic and terminal illness. So in her situation, her dollars were leveraged wide away because if she got hurt or sick uh, first, uh, she had her protection in place. Or, you know, if her husband passed away and she needed help way down the road, she had that protection in place too. So, you know, Dave and Lori were a perfect example of somebody in their 70s uh, that planning makes sense all the time. It's not too late at age 70. And it's, it's not too late, you know, even when you think about somebody that maybe has some health challenges, uh, it doesn't mean that the traditional route is always the best solution. There's other options that are out there. But, you know, when you get that question, as is age 70 too late to talk about long-term care what are your answers absolutely not i agree it's it's never too late to start talking about long-term care even at age 70 but i think what people are concerned about is obviously the fact that long-term care insurance premiums increase the older that you get and it does limit the number of options that are available to you if 
for instance, you are uninsurable. I think another thing that's important to consider when you're talking about long-term care planning is to make sure you have a conversation with your family members as well, to make sure that you guys are on the same page, uh, to, to even see if it's necessary. You know, when I've had those questions in the meetings, you know, clients will ask us, hey, what are the options for long-term care? And I'll, I'll kind of pose the question back to them. You know, what have you guys discussed with your family? Is it an option to live with with kids? Um, you know, and sometimes they say yes, and oftentimes they say no way in heck, you know, I'm, I'm not doing that, but sometimes they do. So, but I just think it's important to um, have that conversation with your family because you might think one thing, but your children may think another and actually may appreciate or, or feel that it's their duty to take care of you and, and, and maybe that's an option. But um, along those same lines of the uninsurable clients when it comes to long-term care planning, one of the most interesting options uh, that are kind of a newer sort of strategy, what we would call long-term care annuities. And, and I might even kick it back to you, Nolan, in a second here, because I know you've had some experience with those, but um, long-term care annuities are essentially, uh, it's a long-term care plan that you can implement. You don't have to be insurable. Uh, generally speaking, it's where you have a lump sum of money that you use to purchase the long-term care annuity. And in exchange for that lump sum payment, the insurance company will pay you out a stream of income that's uh, guaranteed for life and in many cases a lot more than what just the, the lump sum investment could do on its own. There are also other uh, features and benefits that you can add on to it for long-term care planning. Um, you know, just kind of the triggers that we're looking at. Is it a long-term care stay in a nursing facility? Are you in assisted living? Or do you just need help with two of the daily activities of living and you want to focus more on in-home care? So we, we'll, we can help our clients search out to see which benefits are important to them and then find the the account or the product the the annuity that has the you know is optimized for them um, but yeah I, I think it's never too late to start planning for that uh, eventuality I think 70 to 80 percent of people are going to need close to about a hundred thousand um, dollars you know 50 to 60 percent of people usually need around two hundred thousand dollars so it's gonna you know chances are you're going to need some money you're going to need to have a plan in place and if you haven't started thinking even if it is at 70 give us a call it's not too late yeah the key word there is a uh, leverage so it, that's a great example is you know a lot of people out there they have financial resources that they could fight that battle for a while but that doesn't mean that you should pay dollar for dollar for healthcare related expenses. You need to make sure that you're leveraging your assets that are out there. In the example earlier, Lori is leveraging her dollars to get more bang for her buck. In your example, I had another case that we just worked with. We'll call them Joe and Susan. Um, Susan got the traditional lump sum deposit. So she took a lump sum of money into it and had uh, a liquid strategy that her money had the ability to grow. It included life insurance and long-term care uh, protection. Uh, immediately, day number one, her husband, Joe, has Parkinson's. Mm -hmm. You know, So as we know with Parkinson's, he's not going to get the traditional coverage. And so in his case, what we did is we used one of those annuities that we were talking about that has a long-term care writer. Now, in, in our example, of Joe's age 70, but it took him to roughly age 80 before, you know, his benefits would probably double for long-term care. Uh, but 
in that scenario, if they do double for long-term care, the way that I look at it is, heaven forbid, if Joe needs some type of long-term care, you know, he's paying 50 cents on the dollar. Mm -hmm. So these products are out there and available for you. So even if you're thinking, you know, I, you know, may not be able to afford the traditional sense, uh, just know that traditional long-term care insurance is just one option. And it's not usually an option that we traditionally recommend for people. Uh, We like some of the other benefits that are out there. Uh, Those of you who served in the military as a veteran-owned business, uh, we'd love to help, you know, talk to you about maybe what your veteran benefits are. We'd highly encourage you to spend some time with the VSO, uh, get familiar with what your benefits are. And then even in the situation of crisis, planning. So I run into a situation. I know one of the gentlemen we ran into at movie night walked up to me and said, hey, sorry, I haven't been to a lot of these lately. Finding out that dad's in the nursing home, we were able to connect him with an attorney in town that does elder care. And so there's still steps that can be taken in your situation. So the bottom line answer, Chris, is is age 70 too late to talk about long-term care? Absolutely not. Very similar to one of my favorite sayings of all time. The best time to plant an oak tree was 20 years ago. The best time to, you know, think about long-term care, probably a while back. But the second half of that goes, the next best time is right now. There may be uh, alternatives to getting that black and white traditional uh, long-term care policy. And and honestly, it might be more beneficial for you. But uh, there's no time like the present to really uh, start discussing that. 419-794-3030 is how you can get in touch with the team at America's Retirement Headquarters and start that conversation 419-794-3030 or go to the website arhq.com. Now, I know people are probably tired of talking about taxes with the the deadline having, you know, just passed us, but it's something that is always going to be a factor. And uh, when it comes to tax planning, a Roth IRA, pretty ideal because you're taking the tax hit on your contribution now and then the gains grow tax-free. But what if the government says you make too much to put money in a Roth? Is there a workaround that you guys can help out with? So on the the concept of the Roth IRA, I think the overarching theory behind it is that, you know, taxes are going to go up and you stand a better chance of keeping more of what you have or keeping more of what you've earned um, by paying taxes now, paying tax on the seed versus paying tax on the harvest. And I know uh, we've done some segments with Ed Slaughter. I love his take on IRAs because he's all or nothing. Um, I recently listened to one of his podcasts and he describes uh, the concept of the IRA, the tax deferred uh, conversation versus the Roth IRA, the tax free, is kind of like going to the dentist. Taxes are kind of like tartar and decay on your traditional IRA. Huh. You know, it's it's just kind of that situation where, you know, you could delay going to the dentist and put it off and put it off and kind of avoid a little bit of pain over time instead of, you know, taking care of it on a regular basis and kind of chipping away at it. And, and, and you're gonna end up having a lot more problems by doing that, by avoiding some short-term pain. Um, right now, you're gonna end up uh, having a bigger problem with with implants and you know all, all different types of, of teeth issue you're gonna lose them essentially so that's kind of this concept and and I've kind of adopted some of that thought process when it comes to the Roth IRAs and the Roth conversions now prior to 2010 um, you're, you were phased out from converting if you made a certain amount of money. If you're a high uh, wage earner, 2010, uh, before that, you couldn't make any conversions. But uh, I believe following 2010, they allowed you to 
pretty much, you know, make a conversion. They, they took that earnings test away and, they, and you could convert any amount of money you wanted. And then they actually let you split the tax bill up. I don't know if you guys remember this, but you could split it up over two years, I think, two or three years from 2011, 12 and 13. So it was really the deal of the century. And so the concept of the, the Roth backdoor IRA is similar in that it's allowing higher income earners to contribute to a Roth, kind of going around in the backdoor to get away from those those earnings limitations that previously or, or that are currently prohibiting higher wage earners from from making Roth contributions. So the strategy works like this. First and foremost, you're gonna to have to make uh, a non-deductible contribution to your traditional IRA. So that's really the first step. There's no income limitations when you're making non-deductible contributions to your traditional IRA. So anybody can do it. The second step is then you're gonna to wanna to convert that contribution over into your Roth IRA. And after contributing to your traditional IRA, the next step you, you contribute to your Roth and that involves basically you know, moving the money. We can do that at the custodial level. We move it from your IRA. We just do a simple journal into the Roth IRA. Now the catch is, is that there's taxes due. Anytime that you move money from a traditional to a Roth, you're gonna have some taxes. So generally you're not able to you know, pick and choose which deposits that you want to convert from traditional to Roth. There's a rule, it's a, what we call the aggregate rule, which essentially, um, if you have pre-tax uh, pre balance in your, your IRA, the percentage of that non-deductible contribution that you made as a percent of the overall IRA that's deductible, um, that is what is taxed when you make that conversion. So sometimes it's even more beneficial if you know, you don't have any balance at all in your traditional IRA, or maybe it's just all in your 401k, um, where you can essentially make a non-deductible IRA contribution and convert only that deposit into your Roth. So that that's generally, you know, the backdoor Roth, as I understand it, it's a, a great way for higher wage earners to get money uh, into a, a Roth that they previously didn't have access to. Yes, you do pay some taxes, but you enjoy tax-free growth um, over you know the next 20 or 30 years. Now, sometimes clients will say, well, can't the government change the rules? You know, can't, if I put all this money into a Roth IRA, what if they change the rules and say, you know, we're, we're, it's taxable? I think that's not likely to happen. Um, I don't think they could tax the money twice, but you never know. You can't sometimes um, trust these guys and gals as far as you can <laughs> throw them. But, you know, I, I think the opportunity is now. We know that the tax rates are historically low. Just the peace of mind alone, knowing that, hey, I got Uncle Sam out of the way. Um, I don't have to worry about taxes regardless. Maybe they'll, you know, mess around the fringes a little bit and say kind of like how municipal bond interest is, uh, you know, contributes to the taxability of some of your other, of your other earnings. But not likely so it's just an opportunity uh that you can take advantage of as a higher wage earner um that i think you should probably consider yeah you know really and again the question is can you have a roth ira with high income the answer is yes it's just a matter of uh, navigating the rules knowing how the rules apply to your situation and i think you know big areas if you think for your family 
you know, if you're a successful saver and investor towards your retirement, do you believe that tax rates will be higher for your family? You know, one of the things we'd love to do for you is run a tax roadmap, uh, help you do an analysis to figure out what are the strategies, and we'll take you through uh, the tax savers checklist and look at this strategy plus uh, 24 more on that checklist. Very valuable offer there and just a way to make sure that, you know, you pay what you are obligated to pay to the government, but hopefully not a penny more than that. And I think regardless of what your retirement dreams are, being able to keep as much of your hard-earned money as possible is really what it's all about. So uh, give a call, explore these options, and and see how to have that tax-savvy retirement plan, 419-794-3030. Or go to the website, ARHQ.com. We want to thank you for joining us this week here on the show, here on America's Retirement Headquarters. Uh, Please have a great week ahead of you. Be safe out there. And uh, gentlemen, thanks for the time as always. And as we wrap up, I want to leave you with the final word. Yeah, it's uh, Judge Leonard Hand's uh, quote is, there's two systems of taxation, one for the informed and one for the uninformed. So let's get together and get you informed on your retirement and tax saving ideas. Just remember, when you think retirement, think America's retirement headquarters. It's home of the Retirement Guys formula and America's Medicare Associates. America's Retirement Headquarters is located at 1700 Woodlands Drive in Maumee, Ohio. You can reach them by calling 419-794-3030 or online at americasretirementheadquarters.com. Exposure to ideas and financial vehicles discussed should not be considered investment advice or recommendation to buy or sell any financial vehicle. Investments can fluctuate and when redeemed may be worth more or less than when originally invested. Nolan Baker is not affiliated with nor endorsed by the Social Security Administration or any other government agency and does not provide legal or tax advice. Please consult with your attorney, accountant, and or tax advisor for advice concerning your particular circumstance. Annuity guarantees rely solely on the financial strength and claims paying ability of the issuing insurance company. By contacting us, you may be provided with information about insurance and annuity products offered through Nolan Baker, Ohio Insurance License Number 27787.